The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Nah, 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 come on! On this episode of the Heat Check... The finals are set, baby. Oh, my God. We're already at the end of the freaking season. Celtics versus Warriors. A showdown for the ages. A battle of styles. So today, instead of making predictions, we look back. We get into how the Celtics and Warriors both transform their teams very quickly with very little tweaking from a disappointment into this year's top contenders. All right, Brock, lots to dig into, so let's drop that beat. Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My goodness. Here's the high-stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss. To crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. The 2024 NBA Finals presented by YouTube TV continue on ABC. I mean, considering how much these two fan bases love me, you might think this would be a finals that was an encapsulation of a walking L. No. Nothing could be further from the truth. I do not dread this. I love this. I, I may have said, I did say, some mean things, some nasty things, some slanderous things about Marcus Smart. I said he's not a real point. I mean, I said both these guys aren't real point guards, let's be honest. Um, I said Marcus Smart was not a a capable point guard for this team. I said that. I said, I don't care if he's the heart and the soul. This man chucks a million shots. And he still does. He still, I mean, truthfully, he still does. He's lost them some games by doing that. But let's face that. Let's face the truth. Like, he might be the perfect point guard for this team. It might not have been Marcus Smart that made Marcus Smart ineffective. It might have just been Brad Stevens, you know? And, like, when he was in charge, trust me, I wasn't the only one saying this about Marcus Smart. Like, they were saying this about Marcus Smart. They rolled out, like, 15 different point guards over while Marcus Smart was on the team over Marcus Smart. This team went 11 and a, 111 games, 111 games over the past two seasons as a 500 team before they finally got good. How they got to this point 
from being a team with a wonky roster that made no damn sense, with no point guard, and a GM that no one trusted, and two wings that kind of seemed the same, that didn't want to pass to anyone else, including each other. <laughs> like, it, to this is pretty astounding given that the roster construction's largely the same. So let's break it down. Celtics initially turned the corner on defense on November 3rd of this year after Marcus Smart went on a rampage in the media and said, like, these men these men's don't pass the ball. Like, this man Jalen Brown don't pass nobody the ball. And everyone was like, oh, Marcus Smart shouldn't have said that. Oh, no, there's, like, first take. Chris, you know, Haynes is doing reporting on it. You have undisputed. I mean, it was on every show. Like, should Marcus Smart have laid out, aired out his team's dirty laundry in the media, or should he have handled that internally? I mean, it worked, didn't it? I mean, it caused some friction. But they really refocused again after the first Knicks loss on January 6th. Since that date... January 6th, the Celtics are number one in net rating, number one in defensive rating, and number eight in offensive rating. In 2020 to 2021, the season was a mess, as we know. They finished the year, if you're not remembering, because it's hard, right, when teams are doing well to remember that, like, because I went on Reddit today, yeah, from a year ago. It's just like, if I could turn back time. So I did. I was like, what were they saying? What were the hardcore fans saying a year ago? What were they saying five months ago? It's not good in the streets. There's blood in the streets there during that time period. They went 36 and 36. 36 and 36. They barely made the playoffs. They had to squeak their way in to play the Nets and have a gentleman sweep. They were supposed to be a play. I think they got, no, they were a play-in team that made it to the eight seed. Could not figure out how to close out games. Tatum and Brown hurt a lot. They gave up. I had a running, t- I swear to God, I swear on my mom's life, I had a whiteboard that I wrote on solely tallying how many times the Celtics blew up. 10 point or more leads. I believe it was up to 40. 40 games. It was over 38. I remember seeing in my mind's eye the whiteboard of 38 with big eye emojis next. It was not good. And then I said, like, what do you do? Got to move them. Got to move Jalen Brown. Got to move Jason Tatum. One of them. Jalen Jalen is, is probably a lesser version. Get rid of him. Get rid of Danny, which they did. Get rid of Brad Stevens, which they did. Get rid of Fournier, which they did. Get rid of Kemba, which they did. A lot of the things that I had in store, they did. Thank God. I said they needed a P.J. Tucker, and I couldn't have been more right. They went out and got Al Horford, leader of the team when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals the last time around. Al Horford is beloved in Boston, and they got him for a song. I don't think they had to give up much to get him after he was at the uh, rehab factory that is the Oklahoma City Thunder. And most of all, I was like, yo, they need also a new coach. This Brad Stevens guy, great college coach. He's not putting any dog in these men. What am I? I'm Jason Tatum looking at you like Butler. I don't get 
come on. You're not drawing me up anything that's going to motivate me. He's soft-spoken. What is he going to fucking say when the chips are down? He's like, all right. They don't want to see us. No, he's like, all right, guys, we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna execute effectively. Uh, we're gonna pass the ball. Uh, seize on three, one, two. No, like they needed a guy from the culture for the culture about putting accountability into this team and wrecking shop if they don't do it. And he did. He came in and he bullied and buried his own boss on national television. At his first day of work, at the press conference, sorry, Brad, as Brad sitting right next to him, sorry, Brad, this team was soft in, in under their last regime. Uh, what do you mean? Like, he's sitting right next to you. They're not going to be soft with me. I'm going to toughen them up. My co-host, I offered to uh, watch his son, and I said, uh, I'll teach Nathan how to be tough. And he was like, I don't know what that means, but that sounds scary. And that's what Ime Udoka did. He like, I'm going to bury you in the media if you don't do what you're supposed to do. And that's what he did. Ding, ding, ding. Three for three. Last season ended. They blew up. Danny Ainge, he's gone. He retired, quote unquote. Then he went to Utah. So was it retirement? No. Then they ended up firing Brad Stevens, who ended up getting a promotion. Was it really a promotion or was it firing? Probably just the latter. They made changes to the roster, as I said. Nobody thought that the Jays could make it work, but the head coaching situation was the connective tissue. Even at the halfway point this year, Boston was 20-21, and 21, seemingly in the exact same spot, even slightly worse than they were the year before, where they barely made the play-in tournament. They were in the same spot. They were in the 11 seed. The Celtics had a horrible first half of the year. People on Reddit, because I went on Reddit today, they were mad. They were very mad. They had just come off of blowing a 25-point lead to the Knicks. The Knicks, Evan Fournier went absolutely bananas. Fournier had 41 points in that game. And then when Ime came in and he did what we said, he, and he said he was going to do, hold him accountable, have him not be soft, pass the fucking ball. And he said this, repetitive result, this is happening. Either we're going to make some adjustments and get tired of it, or it's going to keep happening. We need leadership, somebody that can calm us down, not get rattled when everything starts to go a little south, and I think it snowballs between our guys. Or do I have to stop all of our momentum and pace and call a play? Do I need to do that? It's obviously some kind of lack of mental toughness there, and something goes a little bad, we all start dropping our head, and everybody adds to it instead of stepping up and calming us down. Whoa. That, my friends, is an all-encompassing, from top to bottom, stars to role players, this team is soft. This team isn't getting it done. Either they're going to wake up and say, we're not going to take it, or they're going to keep getting their ass beat. I don't know. It's not up to me. It's not up to me. I can only tell them so much. And he kept burying them and burying them, and I'm like, this coach is going to get fired. <laughs> like, this coach isn't long for the situation. Reddit's talking about firing him, too. And everyone, no exceptions, Ime, selfish. Their mental toughness isn't working. Like I said, people were calling Ime Udoka. Is this guy just a younger Doc Rivers who can't call plays? Like, doesn't understand X's and O's? Like, he's a nice guy to look at. Seems like he's got the right things to say, and this team fucking sucks. Fast forward into the playoffs, 
And boy, I went to Reddit from today. I went to Reddit from a month ago. And it's like Ime Udoka coaching circles around everybody else. Ime Udoka clearly outcoached every single opponent in his way. Steve Nash, that's a wrap. Budenholzer, obviously a wrap. And yes, even Eric Spolstra. They've beaten Durant, Giannis, Jimmy Butler. So what changed? How the hell did this Boston Celtics team with very little changes to the roster do this? I think the interesting thing about the Celtics and the Warriors is they just didn't really change the core. They found role players that slotted into the identity that they needed and got rid of the dead weight. Guys that didn't fit into the identity with playing defense, guys that couldn't play into the identity of shooting threes, open ones at that. Evan Fournier, gone. Kevin Walker, gone. Tristan Thompson, gone. Do you think those guys can play defense one through five, switch on defense? Hell no. You think they can hit an open? You think Tristan Thompson can hit an open three? Stop. They brought in Al Horford, Josh Richardson, who they promptly got rid of because he couldn't play 3 and D. Cantor, who they promptly got rid of. Schroeder, then they promptly got rid of him as well. Bringing in Derek White, especially the fact that Derek White fit in as that San Antonio, San Antonio system. Guys that would be the weak link when switching on defense or guys that were a weak link on offense had to go and they had to strengthen the role players. The core of this roster, Smart, Tatum, Brown, Two Williams, unchanged. Here's how they resurrected the season in the last 41 games. Plan from the beginning, Ime's plan, centered around making Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown playmakers and then creating a dominant defense. Took a bit of time for the team to learn, to buy into the, to the ways of the world, to execute Ime's defensive scheme consistently. And to be honest, getting rid of guys that were like, Richardson and Schroeder and adding another defensive first, pass first guard forward into Derek White helped a ton. Mark Smart came back from injury and all of a sudden it it coincided with Ime being like, yeah, I'm done trying other options. It's your team, Marcus. Like, we're not going to have you come off the bench anymore. We paid you. We've rolled out Terry Rozier. We've rolled out Kemba. We've rolled out Kyrie. None of these guys, they all want to get theirs. You don't care about that as much. Just just play point guard. You're our point guard. We're leaning all into you, and that's what it's going to be. He's been asking for that responsibility. He's been shouting for that. He's been talking about it in the media, Marcus Smart, and now you've got it, Marcus. Then he gets defensive player of the year, and this team goes on a rocket ship. Ime then shifted Time Lord into the basketball equivalent of a free safety where he's going to create chaos on the court, just hunting down shooters, blocking shots from everywhere. Not just me, but a lot of other players thought he was the best defensive player, not only on the Celtics, but in the entire NBA, given that he had the most amount of blocks every single place on the court. Corner threes, in the paint, wherever. And then his injury hurt the team, but when he came back, that gave them the boost they needed. They practiced constantly and consistently on switching on defense to the point that they switched on defense more than any other team in the NBA, which allowed them to be able to have their defensive rotations work efficiently and optimally without Ime having to run and call a timeout when a run starts. And then this team became resilient overnight. It was like all of a sudden they woke up and they were like, you know what, we're tired of getting beaten when we're up. Like we're just going to. We're just going to close out games now. And that's what they've done. From being just 500 in clutch games, which are games decided by five points or less earlier in the year, they won two game sevens on the road. On the road. And Ime said, 
To get to this point, we had to flip the switch and turn it around in a lot of ways. Guys were always receptive to coaching, to being coached hard, to being pushed and being asked to do more. That shows the character of our group. Young guys that really want to be pushed to grow and take the next step, they've all been here. And to get to the championship is obviously the next step, but our focus is now getting four more. Finished 51-31. and 31. The best, best record ever. Ever for a team under 500 at the halfway point. Left for dead. Only time ever a team has made it to the finals after being less than 500 at the halfway point. Left for dead. And the only, like everyone was like, oh yeah, this team fucking sucks. Like they're just the exact same. And the only one that seemed to believe in the Celtics was Ime Udoka. And now... He's going to probably win Coach of the Year next year. He's been rewarded for his patience. I would not be surprised if he didn't get an extension as soon as he was eligible for one. This team's not only been good, they've been the best team in the NBA, hands down, with a bunch of long, athletic, strong guys who can defend everything and be able to shoot from almost everywhere. It's no fluke that they've made the finals. And now in Ime's first year, they're a team that reflects not only his serious sober demeanor, but a team with a mean streak and a chip on its shoulder, just like Ime Udoka, which down the road we will get in to his journey. But because if you haven't gone to the Wikipedia machine or the Google machine, my guy from my neighborhood, Ime Udoka, is as gritty and resilient and as dogged as they come. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. How in the world does it shock anyone that a team that made five consecutive finals and had three rings in five years, how would they be shocked that that same team would make it to the finals again after their top two guys got healthy again? I mean, I don't know. This team had the fourth best odds to win it all, but let's be honest. This team looked like they were different than that team. They they looked like trash. They were in the lottery two years in a row. And you wondered if they would ever be uh, as healthy or as dominant as they were after Clay's injury, right? Clay's up there in age. Clay got an ACL and an Achilles tear in back-to-back years. Come back thinking he's going to get back onto the court, go scrimmage. Sus scrimmage, wasn't supposed to be doing it. Tears his ACL, boom, boom. Steph Curry breaks his hand out. I think he played six, seven games that year. Don't quote me, but I think it's about that. Two solid years off for Clay, two years in the lottery, and people started to question, is this Warriors team the same Warriors team without Kevin Durant? I started to question. And that's when Warriors Twitter decided that they were going to hate me. Um, But don't mistake it. Don't mistake it. My dislike of Warriors Twitter with the team itself, I very, very much like them. And I've said this time after time. Those Twitter Warriors, though, they have such short memories. 
but there were very real questions that even they had coming into the season. They weren't all hearts and roses and popcorn and lollipops. We all thought, would Clay be Clay? Or when he got healthy, healthy, would he be a slow, older, less mobile version of Clay? Could Golden State overcome the fact they never really had a true center? How would they actually operate with said no true center without Kevin Durant? The fact that they had multiple lottery picks that they could have used to get a star, was it a mistake to draft Kaminga and, and Moody at 7-14 and 14, instead of getting someone like Bradley Beal or trying to go after someone like Carl Anthony Towns or Ben Simmons? Like Lots of people in the Bay thought that they should go out and get a star instead of drafting those two young guys. And they'll never, of course, admit it today. They'll know, oh, that was part of the plan. We're light years ahead, blah, blah, blah. They had role players that were overpaid and awful. Kelly Oubre, for example, who said he was going to be the next Kevin Durant, and he was making like $80 million with including the luxury tax payments that Warriors owed. Andrew Wiggins was overpaid and awful at that point in time. James Wiseman, who I said would miss the entire year, who also missed the entire year. To a lesser degree, Kent Bazemore, who was just literally happy to be there, always fucking up the vibe. Every time he was in, some mistake made that would cost them not only a, like points, a possession, many games. How would all this work moving forward? How would they shed those guys and get other guys back because they didn't have much cap space? Their big pickup this year? Was it Iguadala? Was it Bialicha? Like, was it Otto Porter? Ugh. How was this shit going to work? Gary Payton II? At that point in time, the man was operating as, like, just the guy who hangs around. He was literally not getting paid. Can I just hang here? Can I just be around? Wiggins, go back. going back to Wiggins, Wiggins was a combined negative seven in the play-in games against Memphis and L.A. Playoff Wiggins, were we going to see that again when it mattered most? The gross-ass, brickin'-ass, like literally non-clutch-ass Wiggins? I needed to know. We all needed to know. Would injuries derail the Warriors all over again? Lots of questions, which were very valid at the time. But... Just like the Celtics, honestly, some of the Warriors, what they did was very similar to what the Celtics did in the offseason. They got help for Steve Kerr on the bench, guys that were focused on development, guys who could execute that and were known for that in Kenny Atkinson and Jama Malala, Malala as well. Hard to say. They got rid of the dead weight just like the Celtics did. They got rid of Oubre. You're gone. Kent Bazemore. You're gone. Alan Smileyjek. You're gone. Eric Paschel, fine. You want to go play with your best friend in Utah? Go. Go. People wanted them to go and get a big guy like JaVale McGee. Maybe try to find somebody else that they could have contribute right now or a small five like Nick Batum. Nick Batum said no to the Warriors, said yes to L.A. And instead, they also picked up key role players, quote-unquote key role players, like Otto Porter. He ends up being really important for them. Bialicia ends up being somewhat important for them. And to a degree, in the middle of the year when Steph Curry gets hurt, even Chris Chioza ended up being somewhat important for them. And Gary Payton played some point guard when Steph was injured too. The tweaks 
and the coaching changes worked. Gary Payton stepped up and became one of the best on-ball defenders that they had after literally playing for nothing. He literally stayed around the team after they cut him. And he became this huge role player and this on-ball defensive presence while Clay got healthy. Jordan Poole stepped up to a place where people thought he would win most improved player of the year. Ten games into the season, nine and one as we know. They looked unstoppable. Splash Brothers appeared to have not missed a beat. Then injuries did plague the Warriors, just like we thought. Just as Clay came back, Draymond goes down for what? 36 games with a back injury and a back injury that looked like it could be night-night sleep mask for his career. Wiseman had setback after setback after setback, didn't play one game. Steph sprained his ankle at the end of the season, missed the final 12 games of the year, folks, and people wondered if he would be ready for the playoffs. He came back in time for the playoffs, but looked hampered, hobbled. The return of Clay in the middle of the year coincided with Jordan Poole having a mental meltdown. We talked to the Light Years boys, and they said, not really sure what's going on with Poole. He doesn't understand that he's no longer a starter, and he's not having a, a very high ability to cope with that situation. He now couldn't score. He now was turning the ball over like crazy. What was he going to be on this team now that he was a role player? But at the end of the day, as all dynasties do, they figure it out. They figure out a way to lean into the fabric of their identity and stick true to that. Ball movement. They did nothing at the trade deadline, by the way, unlike the Celtics. Ball movement, sharing the ball selflessly, relentless defense that turns into what? A deluge of emasculating, humiliating bucket after bucket after bucket until you surrender and succumb. You basically have a... Like you basically have like a symbolic ball gag in your mouth when you're done with that shit. During the playoffs, they have been number one in points per game, number one in offensive efficiency, number one in assists, number one in points on cuts, number one in points off screens, so many number ones. Add this to their number six team defensive rating this season, and that makes them a nightmare for most teams. So, not much has really changed. However, a ton has changed in terms of how this team plays. When you get your guy back like Clay, he doesn't need to be back all the way in order to be effective. Steph, Clay, Dre just needed some effective role players to do their fucking job. Wiggins, and now that Wiggins is doing his job, and Jordan Poole is doing his job, Kevon Looney is doing his job, this team looks somewhat unstoppable. An overlooked aspect, though, of this Warriors team this year is that Steve Curry Steve Kerr is really coaching well. Like he has changed some of his things that he's done in ways that have made this team better. He gave a speech at Harvard this year. The quote was interesting. He said, I think the biggest lesson that I've learned is that culture is way more important than scheme. I would say coaching is maybe twenty to thirty percent strategy and everything else is about communication and what your players feel when they come into the building every day. Side note, that is what we would call a subtweet on how he let Kevin Durant get away. <laughs> like that right there, how your players feel when they come into the building every day? Oh, I don't know. You mean the fact that Kevin Durant felt isolated from the rest of the group and that the fan base and media basically said that he was an other and everybody else were the real warriors? I don't know. Okay. Anyway, back to that. 
I feel like he's been pretty good at understanding culture, but I think he's also now understood how important it is to hire the right assistants around you to do the jobs that you don't know or aren't able to do, whether that's because of skill or time or whatever. And now he's got some talent around him. He always has. I mean, he lost Willie Green. That's a big, you know, that's a big time assistant coach that he ended up losing. He came down with COVID at a critical juncture against the uh, Grizzlies, and then he gives the job to Mike Brown to concoct a new scheme around Looney to combat Jaron Jackson and Steven Adams. Big reason that they ended up winning that series. He gave the power away to someone and his players as well to come up with something in order to stop the other team that was doing something effectively that you didn't know how to counter on your own. And he's also doing some of his best scheme work. The rotations that used to not make sense last work last year, now they work. He didn't want to do small ball last year. People forget that. He like just wanted to have big centers all the time. He leaned into the Wiseman. The only reason that they stopped playing Wiseman last year is because he got hurt. So, like, I don't know. He ends up having to go to Draymond and sees how effective that is, and then he leans into that this year. We'll see what happens next year when Wiseman's fully healthy. He closed out the Mavericks using three guards and two wings. And he's learned from the Memphis game last year. He's changing defensive schemes quickly to confuse offenses. He's doing a really great job of finding matches, matchups that benefit the Warriors, not only offensively but defensively, hiding guys that are defensively liable. And he's using the entire roster because it makes sense. Guys like Otto Porter, Bialicia, Damian Lee, even Jonathan Kaminga have been used at times and have played important roles at certain situations during this postseason. Juan Toscano-Anderson has seen his playing time diminish by 25%. Hasn't complained but still has contributed. The roster, even in the playoffs, can run like 10, 11 deep. And that was before... Moses Moody got 17 points in a game in the final three games against the Mavs. And because I have to finish talk about Andrew Wiggins, I briefly mentioned he was better, that he's an all-star starter um, because of K-pop, but still he is. Wiggins was terrible, terrible. In any crucial situation Wiggins has been in the past before this year, someone you can rely on, time and time again, to fuck up. This year, when when the lights are bright and the Warriors go down or the lead that they have is diminishing, Wiggins gets the ball, you gasp, and he hits it. You screech, your muscles tense up, and then you're like, Wiggins! He's dunking on Luka. Remember I said that last playoffs, in the play-in games, he was negative seven on the floor. This year he's plus seven. Better decision-making in high-pressure moments, but truthfully, let's be honest, less high-pressure moments going to Wiggins. You're the fourth option now, not the third option now. You're on, you, you get the ball the fourth most. You're the open corner three guy. You don't have to deal with shouldering the burden in high-pressure moments nearly as much. And also, you get to defend first and foremost and then be a part of the flow of the offense instead of being the focal point of the offense. Not a shocker uh, that Golden State became the odds-on favorite to win the title, moving past the Nets in February to 400, plus 400. They moved down to plus 325 in April and now stand at minus 155 to win it all to beat the Celtics. And how they got there was not the easy road, it turns out. But it was the most effective one. And it turns out that those, those 
Silicon Valley, we can win at the same time we build for the future. Turns out those fucks are right. So congratulations to the Warriors on another title. I hope I don't mush you. I sincerely, sincerely hope I don't mush you because that would be a real shame. That's all the time that we have for the Eat Check. We'll be back tomorrow with a new episode breaking down and predicting the NBA Finals. So follow us as we head to the postseason. Do not forget to download, well, the post-postseason, off-season. We head to the off-season. Do not forget to download, subscribe. Please tell your friends. Please tell your friends. Please tell your friends, every one of them. Please follow us on social at, at this heat check and Trista Crick on TikTok. And also next week, we will be recording this pod live. I don't know if we can do any question and answer component at that point, but soon it will happen. It will be on the Odyssey app, and it will be Monday. Monday at around 5 p.m. And uh, we will see you. We will see you tomorrow, and we'll see you live Monday. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.